0: Hello and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett. And I'm Sabrina. And today in our 409th episode, we have a bunch of news, including what was probably the biggest dinosaur discovery of the summer, I think. You think so? It was the one I saw the most news about when I wasn't even looking for dinosaur news. So
1: You're also a bit biased on this one, I would say. Maybe, maybe. There were a few really (laughs) big dinosaur stories this summer.
0: That's true, yeah. We also have Dinosaur of the Day Microvenator or microvenator.
1: I mean, I could also argue that the dinosaur I'm covering today was the biggest one of the summer.
0: Oh, I don't know which one it's going to be. That's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> and we have a fun fact that we're going to do together.
1: Yay!
0: <laughs>
1: Getting Garrett back involved in the fun facts. Hey.
0: <laughs> Before we get into all that, we want to thank some of our patrons for helping us to keep the podcast running. And we have seven new patrons to thank this week. Awesome. Catching up from everybody who joined this summer. And those new patrons are Lauren, Brooke, Ray, Rocco Raptor, Seamus B, Mary, and Bob. Thank you all very much for joining at varying shout out levels. Everything mm-hmm. at the Ankylosaurus level and up gets you a shout out. So I don't even know how many of these people realized they were going to get a shout out because they might have been joining for ad free or for the book perk or th- things like that. Ooh, but, well, yeah.
1: hopefully this was a fun surprise.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and then rounding out our shout outs, our three random winners are Eric, Chris, and Evelyn and Frankie.
1: Amazing. Thank you so much, everybody, for supporting us. That really is what keeps this show going.
0: So jumping into the news, I'm kicking it off with what I think was probably the biggest discovery of the summer.
1: (laughs) To be debated. It's probably it's definitely a contender.
0: Yeah. So this new discovery was published in Scientific Reports, which is open access, which means if anything sounds interesting to you, you can go to the link in our show notes and you will see all of the pictures of this creature in all its glory. <laughs> and it was written- Really building it up. It's it really cool. It was written by Facundo Righetti and others. This new discovery was also published on my birthday. So happy birthday to me. <laughs> It was a pretty good birthday present. Sci-Fi called it a, quote, cross between a stegosaurus and T-Rex. And others said that it looked like a T-Rex covered in armor, other comparisons to T-Rex. I think most of the reason people do that is because if you put T-Rex in the headline, more people click on it. But also probably because it had pretty small arms. Although, as we talked about recently, small arms are very much not unique to T-Rex. Lots of dinosaurs had small arms. But what's a little different about this one is... It is dog or cat sized, as a lot of headlines also pointed out. And as we were saying last week, big heads and small arms go together in carnivores, but that's not really at all the story with this dinosaur. So it turns out this dinosaur is most likely a thyreophoran, which is the group that includes stegosaurs, ankylosaurs, and more basal members like Scutellosaurus and Scalidosaurus. So those are almost all, if you think about stegosaurus and ankylosaurus, usually quadrupedal. Mm -hmm. They have long front limbs. They're herbivorous, so they don't have big heads. They don't meet that normal body plan of big carnivorous head, Mm -hmm. small front arms. But it definitely has that sort of body proportions. So out of those, I'd say the new dinosaur is closest to Scutellosaurus That one kind of has shorter front limbs and Scutellosaurus was also small, probably dog sized, I think is a good description in that like one to two meter length sort of range. Although, you know, that's a lot longer than a dog. Most of that's just skinny tail. Right. Weight wise, it's like probably the same as a cat.
1: When I hear a dog and cat size, I think, oh, that would have been a good pet. (laughs)
0: yeah it wouldn't have been though (laughs) (laughs) it'd be like having a giant bird like maybe like an emu running around your house or something oh yeah that's not great maybe an outdoor pet could be an outdoor pet
1: okay yeah if you had a big enough yard
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah because people have emu as pet and they enjoy that so yeah they could work in that way Scutellosaurus was also armored like this new dinosaur, but Scutellosaurus had a pretty long and slender head, so it didn't really look like a T-Rex or really any theropod. It it clearly looks like what you might expect a early thyreophoran to look like before evolving the big plates on its back if it was going to be a stegosaur or all the armor if it was going to be an ankylosaur and its arms just weren't in the quadrupedal because the earliest dinosaurs were bipedal. So it's like, okay, yeah, it still had short arms. So I should probably say what the new dinosaur is. It's The new dinosaur is named Jacopil Kaniakura. And Jacopil, I think is how you pronounce it. I'm guessing in South America, they probably pronounce it Yacopil because it starts with a J. And they gave a little bit of a pronunciation guide, but it's not quite clear how you're supposed to pronounce the J. I think they probably realize that depending on where you are, you're going to pronounce it differently and mm-hmm. that's fine. So Jacopil means shield bearer in Huelchean or Northern Tehuelchean languages. And Shield Bearer is the literal English translation of Thyreophora. So they basically did that move where they took the local languages and translated what it is, mm-hmm. which I think is cool. It's
1: nice and descriptive that way.
0: Yeah, I think Yakapeel sounds pretty cool too, or mm-hmm. Jacapil. I might go with Yakapeel. I kind of like the way that sounds better. And then Kaniakura means stonecrest in Mapudungan. And that, quote, refers to the diagnostic ventral crest of the mandible, end quote, which basically means it has a big crest on the bottom of his jaw.
1: That's what the unique feature is.
0: Yes. And it gives it the appearance of a deeper jaw than it actually has.
1: Oh, so it looks more menacing.
0: Yeah. And it, it does have like a fairly deep jaw, even without that crest. But It definitely gives it more of that like T-Rex skull proportion of like a big head, even though it isn't really that big of a head. Although maybe that has to do with its smaller arms. Maybe it weighed a little bit more with that big bony crest. Yeah, Hard to say. Both Mapudungan and Tohuelchian languages are spoken in North Patagonia, where the dinosaur was found. And they found fragments from throughout the body. So they found a couple vertebrae, pieces of the legs and arms, and even a little bit of the hand, pieces of the hips, a bunch of osteoderms, the tooth-bearing part of the skull, so kind of like the lower, like the palate, basically, missing pretty much all the top and back of the skull, unfortunately. They did find, though, a nearly complete jaw that has that diagnostic ridge on the bottom, and they found a bunch of leaf-shaped teeth that are typical of thyreophorans and also a lot of other ornithischians so presumably it's an herbivore or maybe an omnivore. But yeah, it definitely wasn't an apex predator or really a predator mm-hmm. as a primary function.
1: It also had armor, so seems like the herbivores <laughs> tend to have more
0: armor. Yeah, that's definitely true. The most noticeable feature is how deep the jaw appears, even without the crest. It is pretty deep for a thyrea foran. It's not deep compared to something like a tyrannosaur. But...
1: Well, it is hard to <laughs> compete with that.
0: Yeah. It's reconstructed in a typical bipedal dinosaur stance. It reminds me mostly of a tiny armored herbivorous carnotaurus. Is
1: it because it's got small arms?
0: Yes. And it also has that deep head and the head isn't really the same proportions of a T-Rex. It's closer to like an abelosaurid. Mm -hmm. And I think an abelosaur is sort of what it looks the most like. Hmm. If it wasn't for the teeth, you might think it was an, an abelosaur that had armor on it. And there are some details of the skull, too, that make it pretty clearly an ornithischian. Its osteoderms are, quote-unquote, extremely low compared to other basal thyreophorans. Basically, they describe them as plate-like, and only a few have prominent ridges down the middle.
1: So they're kind of flat?
0: Yeah. So essentially, they're long and low i guess mm-hmm. <laughs> you could almost think of them like a stegosaurus plate against the body rather than sticking up out of it since mm. those are also osteoderms all right although yakapiel is small the authors consider it a subadult so it would have likely grown bigger although not by probably all that much because in the supplemental material they talk about how they found seven growth marks in a rib which would mean it's at least about 7 years old Compared with the adult size of a stegosaur being around thirteen years old, mm-hmm. and some other thyreophorans, they said were more like eight years. So they didn't find that stacking up of growth rings getting really close together at the outside of the rib. But based on the number of years, it might have been approaching its full size.
1: That's just another example of why it's so great that we have so many fossils from so many different animals, because then you can make these comparisons and yeah. come up with
0: these hypotheses. Yes, definitely. But it does mean that. When all these articles are saying dog or cat size, like it might have been bigger. Yeah. So this individual, so like this yakapiel, yes, (laughs) was small, but we don't know that all of them were this small.
1: Right. And if it lived longer, it might have gotten bigger.
0: Yes, exactly. They also only found two growth marks in an osteoderm. So you might think, oh, well, that's sort of inconsistent. But osteoderms aren't known to be great for estimating age because they do change over time sometimes.
1: Yeah, and when you start off as a juvenile, sometimes they're not really there.
0: Yeah, exactly. So they might not have grown until it was four or five years old, and then that would be expected. This individual is estimated at, quote, less than 1.5 meters in body length, which is about five feet, they didn't give a lower estimate. <laughs> it just said like less than or equal to one and a half meters, mm-hmm. which I think is kind of funny because it's like, was it half a meter long? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's because we don't have much of the tail.
1: Okay. Yeah. And the tail could make it much longer or exactly. much
0: shorter. Yeah. And since it's one of these like basal thyreophorans, some of them like stegosaurus didn't have super long tails, but some of the very early dinosaurs did have pretty long tails. So yeah. it really could affect the length in a major way.
1: But you must know the weight to know that it's cat or dog sized.
0: Yeah, they have a decent piece of a partial femur to work with. So they did take a shot at estimating the weight. They said four and a half to seven kilograms, which is about 10 to 15 pounds. And yeah, so that is cat weight. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But obviously, cats aren't five feet long, even with a long tail. So (laughs) yeah, again, dinosaurs are a lot larger than modern animals, most modern animals, not birds, other than birds, because they have, they're have they so lightly built compared to most modern animals. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, it seems to be most closely related to Scalidosaurus, which is usually depicted as quadrupedal. Earlier, I was talking about how I thought it looked the most like Scutellosaurus, because that's a smaller one that's bipedal. Scalidosaurus basically looks like a lightly armored ankylosaur. Mm-hmm. There was a redescription by David Norman last year that we covered in episode 307 and they determined Scalidosaurus was a facultative quadruped meaning that it was usually bipedal
1: so it usually walked on two legs but then when it needed to it could go on four legs.
0: Yes. Although I pointed out at the time that the paleoart that they included with it had all the Scalidosaurus on four legs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't know. Well, it,
1: it needed to be in whatever it was doing in those the art.
0: situations, yeah. yeah. And it had a lot of pretty prominent armor. It also had fairly large horns originating from the back of its head, similar to a goat. And it's possible they mentioned that they could have curled around the side of their head, sort of like a ram horn. But we really can't tell because we only have the horn core and we don't have any keratin covering. Right. So, you know, basically a little goat horn core looks the same, whether or not it's got huge... Horn coverings on them or not? Mm-hmm. If you only fossilize the bone underneath,
1: but we can always imagine.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's cool to think about a dinosaur with big like ram horns. The redescription also positions Scalidosaurus as a basal ankylosauromorph rather than a basal thyreophoran. In other words, they put it a little more closely related to ankylosaurus than previously thought, like on that very early branch of ankylosaurus, rather than maybe an ancestor to both ankylosaurus and stegosaurus. In that vein, Yacopil may also be an early ankylosauromorph instead of just a thyreophoran. But in their analysis, they kind of pulled back skeletosaurus out of the ankylosauromorph into basal thyreophoran mm-hmm. along yep. with Iacopil. So I think it's always really fuzzy in those early dinosaurs, whether they're differentiated enough to make it down one of those branches of family trees, or if they're just before the branch, it's so hard to tell. They called Yakapiel the, quote, first definitive thyreophoran species from the Argentinian Patagonia, end quote. Cool. And I think they say definitive because there are a lot of probable ankylosaur fragments, especially notosaur. plus there's Isaberisora which is likely a stegosaur, but might not be. The paper that described as the title is something like an ornithischian, but we don't know for sure that it was a stegosaur. There's also the awesome Ankylosaurus stegouros that we talked about that had that awesome tail with like the big jagged mm-hmm. bat going on. But that one's from Chilean Patagonia <laughs> by a few miles. So basically because of our arbitrary human line that we drew between Chile and Argentina, technically this is the first Argentinian Patagonian <laughs> ankylosaurum or for early thyreophoran. So yeah, there are a couple of little asterisks there, but no matter what, it is very important. Isaberisora is much older at about 168 to 170 million years ago putting it in the middle Jurassic. Jurassic. Uros is about 72 to 75 million years ago, putting it in the late Cretaceous. It's
1: very far apart.
0: Yes. And Yacopil is kind of in the middle. So technically it's the beginning of the late Cretaceous, but basically in the middle of the Cretaceous at about 94 to 97 million years ago. So maybe 20 million years before Uros.
1: So none of these overlapped at all. No,
0: not even remotely close. Yacopil is in the Candelaros formation, And the strangest detail is that Scalidosaurus is from the early Jurassic, which is about a hundred million years before Yacopil. And that means that we're about as close in time to Yacopil as Yacopil is to Scalidosaurus.
1: (laughs) 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 That's another one of those dinosaurs were around for a very long
0: time. Yeah. Yeah. We might actually be even closer in time to Yacopil than Yacopil was to Scalidosaurus based on, you know, like if it was at the early end of one estimate and the late end of the other estimate kind of thing. And that would mean that there would be about a hundred million year ghost lineage of basal forans. And Ooh. then they also would have had to make it from where Scalidosaurus was discovered in the Northern Hemisphere to South America.
1: What happened in that time frame? <sighs> yeah. A lot of things. <laughs> it's
0: very weird. It's also weird since essentially... All the basal thyreophorans that we know are from the northern hemisphere. Mm-hmm. And then there's just this one random one in South America. So that's weird enough that some people think this might not actually be a thyreophoran. It might be something else. Susanna Maidman suggested on Twitter that Yakapiel might be an early ceratopsian. Mm-hmm. We are missing, again, the top and back of the skull, which is the part that you need in order to see if it had a frill or any horns like a Ceratopsian, or if it had those horns on the back of the head, Mm -hmm. like Scalidosaurus.
1: Need more fossils.
0: Yeah, seriously, especially this one. Some of the features that look unique for a Thyreophorian are pretty common in Ceratopsia and also in other Ornithischians. Although again, there are not really any Ceratopsians from South America either. So it's like... It's either a really surprising ceratopsian or a really surprising therioforian. Those are the main contenders. Plus, armor on a ceratopsian would be a little bit surprising, although not impossible because lots of, you know, even sauropods sometimes grew armor in random little groups. So it, it's been known to happen. No matter what, it's a weird dinosaur from a group of dinosaurs not really known from South America. And assuming it's not a chimera since the remains weren't articulated, but they were found in close proximity, then it should hold up as a dinosaur somewhere. Mm -hmm. But there is that chance that because these they said they were found in an area of like one meter by one and a half meters, which is like three by four to five feet. That's where all the fossils were found, which is close. But since they weren't actually in the orientation of an animal, Mm. it is possible that like two animals fossilized together. But either way, this jaw is something we've never seen before. So at the very least- There's something new. Yes, there is definitely something new. And I don't think the bones are on display, but they are stored at the Carlos Ameguino Provincial Museum in Rio Negro province in Argentina. So if you are in the area, you might be able to see it. It's pretty cool. And there's tons of paleo art. I did a Twitter search to see, you know, what different paleontologists were saying about this. Mm -hmm. And I found so many artistic interpretations of Yakapil. It's a fun one. It's really cool. Yeah, it's spelled J-A-K-A-P-I-L. If you want to search it, it's really cool. I definitely, I don't know which one would be cooler, actually, if it would be cooler as a foran or a ceratopsian. I love the idea of an armored ceratopsian. Mm -hmm. That's super cool. But I also love the idea of this ankylosaur that just showed up out of nowhere and it had like a hundred million year ghost lineage. Right.
1: (laughs) I would love to know if it had ram-like horns.
0: Yeah. And we know it had those tiny front arms too, Mm -hmm. which is so weird because it's so late, right? It's in like the middle Cretaceous and things. (laughs) Yeah, What were they doing? Herbivores just didn't have short forelimbs at that point in time, really. So it's very strange, but very cool say, even more surprising than stegouros, which was already very surprising. And now we're going to pause for a quick sponsor break, but when we get back, Sabrina's going to tell me about what she thinks might have been the biggest dinosaur discovery of the summer.
1: This episode's brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College, where you can become a part of the scientific process. a new very large Spinosaur that was discovered on the Isle of Wight in England. And I think this one's a contender. Maybe it wasn't as talked about over the summer because it's unnamed, but it literally was huge.
0: Oh, I see. That's what you're going for. <laughs>
1: <laughs> also, spinosaurs in general, people talk about a lot.
0: They do, yeah.
1: So this was published in Peer J by Chris Barker and others. And it was big news in June when it came out. Again, it's an unnamed Spinosaurid, also known as a Spinosauridae indeterminate. They know it's a Spinosaur because it had a number of Spinosaurid features, including small grooves on the top of the tail vertebra. They also know it's definitely a new species, but there's just not enough unique features found for the authors to give the dinosaur a name. So instead, they referred to it as the White Rock Spinosaurid. And it was found in an area known as the White Rock Sandstone.
0: So they, I'm guessing they didn't find the skull, if you're talking about the unique features in the tail vertebra.
1: Yeah, no skull or teeth, but they did find vertebrae from the neck, hips, and tail, and rib and limb bone fragments.
0: Nice. But we do know that the Isle of Wight, aka Dinosaur Island, <laughs> mm-hmm. has spinosaurids, because we talked about those two, and now I can't remember, Sucops.
1: And Reparo venador?
0: Yeah, but those were only known from skulls, so or partial skulls. Mm-hmm. So it's very possible that if you have only partial skulls and then you have only post-cranial stuff, that it could be one of those.
1: I mean, you're, you're jumping ahead for me because <laughs> this discovery helps support the idea that spinosaurs started in what is now Western Europe and then spread across to what is now Asia, Africa, South America because of those spinosaurs that have been found. There's also baryonyx.
0: Oh, yeah. Baryonyx is a good one. But we could probably tell this isn't baryonyx because we do have some of the body of baryonyx, whereas the Ceratosuchops and Venator, we don't have those vertebrae from the body.
1: Right. But we also know it's, it's different. Oh, and Ceratosuchops and ripyroventador, we covered in episode 358, if anyone wants to go back and listen. And it's the same team who named those two spinosaurs that described the white rock spinosaur. So, as I mentioned, it's very large. It's possibly the largest European theropod found so far. Hmm. They estimate that it's over 10 meters or 33 feet long. Definitely too big to be a pet.
0: (laughs) That is big. Well, it's also going to be a a carnivore. Yeah, And it needs like a specialized river or lake ecosystem. (laughs) There's a lot of reasons (laughs) there. Mm -hmm.
1: Now, as a spinosaur, spinosaurs in general, they had the long tails and the narrow snouts and the large claws, so you can kind of guess at what this one might have looked like based on that. It was found in the Vectis Formation on the southwest coast of the Isle of Wight, and in the paper, it's described as a, quote, gigantic tetanurin theropod that had, quote, enormous dimensions similar to those of the Spinosaurus holotype and exceeding those of the largest European theropods previously reported, end quote.
0: Yeah, I was just thinking, I'm not great with what was discovered in Europe versus Northern Africa, Mm. but I can't think of any particularly huge theropods from Europe. The first one I think of is Megalosaurus which was pretty big, but I don't think it was over 30 feet. I don't think so either. They didn't have any big tyrannosaurs. And I don't think there were any really big carcharodontosaurids. I think those were all Northern Africa, like giganotosaurus and all that stuff. So I think it's mostly spinosaurids that are the contenders for biggest, especially by length.
1: Yes. And spinosaurids in general are pretty big.
0: Yeah. Oh, they had some like allosaurs too. Those might've been a little heavier maybe in some Mm. cases. So it depends
1: what you mean by big. Yeah. So this White Rock Spinosaurid, it's the first one, first Spinosaurid found from the Vectis formation. Not many dinosaur fossils in general have been found in that formation. They found a few ornithopod, ankylosaur, and indeterminate theropod individuals, and some tracks. Of course, a lot of dinosaur fossils have been found in the Wessex formation on the Isle of Wight. Hmm. This dinosaur is from the late Baramian, about 129 to 125 million years ago.
0: Oh, yeah. That's a little early for a Spinosaur.
1: Yeah. And it lived in a coastal lagoonal environment.
0: I could see why you were saying that it supported the idea that Spinosaurids came from Europe or maybe more specifically the Isle of Wight, <laughs> <from, laughs> yeah. at least from what we've found. In that case, it might be more like the Isle of Wight has the rocks from that age. Not that there's that very specific area where the very first right. Spinosaurids were. But that's like almost 30 million years at the longer end Earlier than Spinosaurus, which is pretty early.
1: Yeah. What were they doing? Emerging out of these rivers and the lagunes.
0: <laughs> just imagine like a crocodilian because those were around for a long time and it's mm-hmm. like getting up out of the water and it just keeps having more and more leg <laughs> and body below it. Like, what?
1: <laughs> yep. <laughs> What's cool about this specimen is there's bio erosion on the bones, and the authors think that means that there are traces of invertebrates. It's most likely beetles and their larva that were feeding on the bones. The author said it was possibly harvesting behavior. Hmm. So they probably ate the bones before the fossils were
0: buried. Interesting. Yeah. So harvesting behavior. So I guess they were gathering up little bits of bone.
1: Yeah. The larvae need to eat.
0: As opposed to, I guess, nesting behavior, where sometimes they like bury things in there, like how flies do. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Now, this specimen, the white rock Spinosaurus, there's no obvious traits of it being aquatic. So the debate still continues on what semi-aquatic means for spinosaurs, though it's been suggested that being so large could be linked to being semi-aquatic. In the future, it'd be helpful to do some histology, especially when comparing to other spinosaurs.
0: Yeah, even if they could do a CT scan, then you could see some pretty good detail from inside the bone about how dense it is. Mm-hmm. It would be really interesting to see because since those two that we keep mentioning, Reparo Venator and Ceratosuchus. Both were mostly skulls. You can't really tell the density of the body of the animal from that. And you can't infer too much about its aquatic behavior. You could tell that, oh, yeah, it probably ate fish because it's got the right fish stabby teeth and the long snout <laughs> kind of thing. Fish stabby teeth. Yeah. It's yeah. a <laughs> good description. But there are a lot of animals that basically stand out of the water and like bite into the water. It does seem like that might be the most likely for Spinosaurus because if it did in fact evolve from dinosaurs and it is a dinosaur, you know, they all evolved from land predators. So that would make sense, but yeah, it would be interesting to see just how that transition happened. Did it really quickly shift to that aquatic thing or was it a more slow thing that took tens of millions of years? Yeah. I, I would like to know.
1: And then it's another case of we need more fossils, especially in this case because then hopefully we can get a name for this. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think if I was in England, I would probably be trying to get to the Isle of Wight to look for some dinosaurs.
1: Even from California, we, we try to get to the Isle of Wight.
0: <laughs> yeah. Although we did miss out on it last time we were in the UK. It was just a little too far.
1: One of these years we'll make it.
0: <laughs> yeah. We were also there, I think, in November, which might not be peak dinosaur fighting No, I season. think it
1: is because you want the storms, right? Oh, that's to true. Yeah. expose some of the fossils.
0: Yeah. It's never easy, that paleontology. <laughs> nope. <laughs>
1: So to go with this spinosaur find, there was also a paper that found that spinosaurids replace teeth really quickly, and that's probably why we found so many spinosaurid (laughs) teeth.
0: Yeah, because we find spinosaurid teeth everywhere. Yeah. Like we find them in Japan, we find them in all these places where we haven't found any other spinosaurid stuff, and we're like, but they must have been here because there's teeth everywhere.
1: (laughs) So this paper was by Eric Isaz Mendy and others, and it was published in Historical Biology. And I'll start by saying spinosaurids, they've been found all over the world. It's likely they originated in the Jurassic. In the paper, the authors examined an isolated jawbone, a partial left maxilla, from the lower Cretaceous that was found in La Rioja, Spain. And that specimen, just if anyone's curious, is CPI 477. This jawbone, they previously thought, It was baryonyx, but now it's thought to be an indeterminate baryonychine, so we don't exactly know what it is, and that's because some of the features on it are seen in other spinosaurid jawbones. What they did was CT scan the fossil, and they found fragments of teeth and a fish scale, and they also found that the first preserved alveolus, that bony socket for the root of the tooth, holds three teeth. Quote, a functional tooth and two replacement teeth. Nice. Yeah. It's
0: good to have backup teeth. Yes. I often think when I'm at the dentist, why can't we be like dinosaurs and pretty much every other animal on earth other than mammals, modern mammals, (laughs) and just get replacement (laughs) teeth?
1: And not worry about cavities.
0: Yeah, it's just, it's so impractical having only two sets of teeth in your entire life. It just sets up so many problems. There's some weird thing that happened in the distant past Mm -hmm. where there was some mammal. I think the theory is that it was a short-lived rodent-sized mammal.
1: Right, so it didn't need that many teeth.
0: Yeah, and it had the two sets of teeth and we all descended from that. And now we're (laughs) stuck with these two sets of teeth, even though we live way longer and we need more teeth. Yep. So we have to come up with like implantable teeth and dentures and all sorts of crazy stuff where every other animal is just like, okay, I'm growing more teeth.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's quite the rant.
0: (laughs) It would make our smiles kind of janky, though. That's the only downside. Sure.
1: (laughs) Eventually, we might adjust and not care.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we probably wouldn't think anything of it. Sorry.
1: (laughs) Anyway, having this, you know, the one tooth that's in use and then the two replacement teeth ready to go. It's similar to other spinosaurids like Irritator. Wahalia and Iberospinus. And as you know, it also means that there's rapid tooth replacement. Spinosaurids probably replace teeth at a rate between 59 and 68 days. Wow. Yeah. That's very fast. Yes. And that could explain why we find so many spinosaurid teeth.
0: Yeah. That's so cool. That's more often than I go to the dentist every 60 to 70 days. Much more often.
1: Yeah. <laughs> We don't know for sure why they had so many replacement teeth, but it would have helped ensure that they had more functional teeth at all times, and that's good for holding prey in the jaws. Good to have teeth there.
0: Yeah, I wonder, I haven't seen, but I wonder if there's a correlation between eating fish and like slippery prey versus tooth replacements. Because mm-hmm. I think the first animal everyone learns about having lots of replacement teeth is sharks. Yeah. And the thing is like, well, yeah, they're biting into these things and they like thrash around. Right. And so they sometimes need, they lose teeth. They need
1: healthy, strong teeth. Yeah, all just pop
0: another one up. And if Spinosaurus was eating fish just like sharks, then maybe it's the same sort of story. They Their long, skinny teeth for stabbing into fish and gripping them a little bit. Mm-hmm. But if the fish are squirming and a couple teeth pop out, If they're getting replaced every two months, it's not that big of a deal.
1: Yeah. So again, that might be why we keep finding so many spinosaurid teeth. But the author said that the abundance of teeth doesn't necessarily mean that spinosaurids had aquatic lifestyles, which has been a previous hypothesis. So that's just going back to the debate.
0: Mm -hmm. What
1: does semi-aquatic
0: mean? I I guess that must be implying how things preserve a little bit better if they're in aquatic environments. They tend to fossilize a little more. So people, I guess, in the past have said, well, we're finding all these teeth. So that means they were probably in aquatic environments where the teeth are likely to fossilize. I think so. But these researchers are just saying like, no, there are just so many teeth that it didn't have to be in an aquatic environment in order for them to fossilize.
1: Yeah. I mean, maybe they were aquatic or semi-aquatic, but there's still a lot to be discussed there.
0: Yeah. I think... It's fair to say at this point they were semi-aquatic because they clearly have specialized teeth for eating fish.
1: Yeah, it just goes down to how do you define semi-aquatic? Yeah.
0: And I think even in that case, it's like they were probably biting things in the water. So it is likely that they were losing their teeth in the water. Mm-hmm. And that does mean they're more likely to fossilize. But also, it's just a double whammy then. You've got the teeth falling out in the water, and you've got the fact that they were replacing teeth every two months. So that's just tons of teeth everywhere all the time.
1: I mean, it's good for us because it's cool to find their teeth.
0: Yeah, It's like the only real dinosaur fossil we have is a spinosaur tooth that we got at a museum in Japan Mm -hmm. because they're they're so common that you can get them pretty cheap in a lot of places. That's true.
1: Moving on to some museum news, the Oxford University Museum of Natural History is rerunning a lecture that J.R.R. Tolkien gave in 1938 about dragon lore and dinosaurs. Oh, cool. Yeah. So they're going to feature his original slides and supporting specimens and documents and then, after, there's going to be a panel discussion about the social impact of dinosaurs, the ecology and evolution of extinct animals, and other stuff. It's free to attend. You do have to book tickets in advance. And the event's taking place on December 13th. So, if you're in the area, book your tickets now.
0: It's only in person, there's no online option. I know,
1: I looked. I was hoping it'd be online too. Oh
0: man, I want to go to that so bad. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if anyone goes, please tell us about it.
0: Yeah. And if there's a way to like get the slides afterwards or if you could take pictures. Yeah. Please, please do. I'm so <laughs> interested in this. <laughs> like last week we were talking about that Meraxes mm-hmm. dinosaur and how it was named after Game, Game of, of Thrones. Thrones and yeah. That's cool. But all of those dragons and like all that fantasy stuff is based on Tolkien. He's the like original guy for <laughs> all of that stuff. Like even the idea of like elves being tall and like shooting bows and arrows, that was him. Everything about modern fantasy is this guy. Yeah. Such a cool person.
1: That's cool that they have his slides.
0: Yeah. That's all. I had no idea he did that. No, me either. That's so, oh man. So cool. Yeah. <laughs> How come that didn't make it into the movie about Tolkien? Remember, we watched that movie that was like sort of biographical. Right. It should have included this lecture in it. (laughs) (laughs) Just spent like an hour of a feature-length movie on Uh, a lecture about dinosaurs. That
1: seems like that would be for a more niche audience. Yeah.
0: (laughs) But I'm in that niche. Yeah. I want to know. (laughs) I guess what dragons did they have? They had the the fell beasts going on in. Lord of the Rings. Smog. Oh, yeah, and The Hobbit. Oh, mm-hmm. good point. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, back in the US, the Field Museum in Chicago recently got a new hadrosaur dinosaur fossil. That one was found in Missouri in 2017. It's about 35 feet long, or 10.6 meters. And the largest piece of the dinosaur is a 2500 pound block of fossils nicknamed the beast (laughs) (laughs) i like that nickname
0: it is pretty beastly
1: Mm -hmm. it's gonna take a month to prepare but it's there
0: cool i wonder if it's a hadrosaur from missouri if it's a parasaurus because there was that recent discovery of more parasaurus Mm. individuals
1: Mm -hmm. true good point
0: guess we'll see we'll probably get through the beast yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, we've got another dinosaur, Zephyr, that's going to auction next month. Zephyrs and Iguanodon. It's about 10.7 feet or 3.2 meters long. Not to be confused with Zephyrosaurus, which is an Ornithischian that lived in the Cretaceous.
0: So this, Zephyr is just a nickname. It's not the genus.
1: Yeah, that took me a little bit of time to figure out <laughs> because all the articles just kept saying Zephyr, Zephyr. And then sometimes they would say Iguanodon. And I thought, oh, is that right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. Because when non-dinosaur nerds are reporting on dinosaurs, sometimes the details get a little muddled.
1: Yes, but it's an, it is an it is iguanodon. Zephyr is the nickname. It means West Wind, and it refers to where it was found. It was found in 2019 during a road construction project on private land in Colorado near Dinosaur National Monument. The fossils were later purchased by Flavio Bacchia, founder of Zoic, which provides tools and tech to prepare specimens, and it's been described as a dinosaur that can fit in a living room.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I don't know if it would fit in our living room.
1: It's over 10 feet long, so it's, you still need a pretty big living room.
0: <laughs> That's like we were talking about. It could fit in the living room, but then the living room would just be- A dinosaur room. Yeah. yeah. It's, nothing else is going in there. There's no room for a couch anymore. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're estimating that Zephyr is going to sell for about four to five hundred thousand dollars US. <laughs> it's going to go on sale on October twentieth in Paris, and before that, for three days, it's going to be on exhibit. So if you're there, you can see it.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. We've seen a couple dinosaurs before they went for sale in public places. Mm-hmm. It's a. Um, it's probably the only opportunity you'll get to see it. So yeah. definitely recommended.
1: Yeah, if you can. On October 20th, too, there's going to be other 12 to 15 other fossils on sale, including a nest of dinosaur eggs, a giant fish, and mammoth tusks. Hmm.
0: Of those, I think mammoth tusks are the least of a loss. Mm. (laughs) We've got a lot of mammoths and a lot of tusks because they're basically teeth.
1: Well, maybe we'll get lucky and the people who buy these fossils will let museums have them.
0: Yeah, that'd be cool.
1: All right, next, there's a student at Southern Methodist University in Texas that makes dinosaur origami. This is just a quick note. Travis Nolan, who was influenced by the movie Dinosaur when it came out in 2000, his dad gave him a puppet of the Carnotaurus. He makes really cool origami. The pictures show a lot of details. It's not just dinosaurs. There's also, I saw, Dimetrodon, Really intricate. And I mean, I can't really do origami. I can only do very, very basic.
0: That's cool. (laughs) I wonder if any of it's kirigami, the origami where you use scissors to like cut it a little oh, bit. Oh,
1: maybe. It's hard to tell from the pictures.
0: You can do a lot more fancy stuff easier mm-hmm. if you can cut every once in a while.
1: Either way, uh, definitely look at these pictures if you can. They're really impressive. Nice. And then last, there's a new trailer for Marvel's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. Again, that's about 13-year-old Lunella and her devil dinosaur, and they defend the Lower East Side of New York. <laughs> and The trailer looks pretty cool. It's about two minutes and the show's coming out next February. So, something to look forward to.
0: New York needs a lot of superheroes to protect it, apparently. apparently I feel like yeah. maybe half of the superheroes are in New York.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: probably because they got lots of cool buildings to work with.
1: And it's where the creators are from.
0: Yeah. That might be more of what it is. Yeah. I think sort of so. like how all the video games are based in San Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're going to pause for one more quick sponsor break, and then we're going to get into our dinosaur of the day microvenator or microvenator, and then onto our fun fact.
1: And now onto our dinosaur of the day, Microvenador, which was a request from Ewan via our Patreon and Discord. So thanks.
0: You do prefer the British pronunciation, don't you?
1: Uh, ever since we went to Australia and I heard about Australovenator. Yeah. Yeah. It's been in my head. <laughs> <laughs> so, Microvenador or Microven.
0: You can't even do I it. can't even do it. Microvenator.
1: Microvenator. I
0: think is how it would be. It sounds weird with that one because micro yeah. should be together.
1: I'm gonna stick with microvenator. <laughs> it was an Overraptorosaurin theropod that lived in the early Cretaceous in what is now Montana in the US in the Cloverleaf formation. It looked kind of like Overraptor, you know, walked on two legs, it had a long tail, long arms, large claws. It's estimated to be four point three feet or one point three meters long. The holotype, which is AMNH 3041, is most likely a juvenile, based on it having some unfused bones, so the adult probably grew larger. The fossils were found in 1933 by Barnum Brown as part of a field party from the American Museum of Natural History, and Barnum Brown thought that there were Deinonychus teeth that went with the holotype. So he informally called it Megadontosaurus, which (laughs) means big-toothed lizard,
0: If anything is an inappropriate dinosaur name for Mega Tooth, it's a Deinonychus. (laughs) We already knew T-Rex by then. That's a pretty silly (laughs) name to pick. Just because the teeth wouldn't have been very big compared to a lot of dinosaurs that we had already found.
1: I think oviraptors don't have teeth.
0: But you said he named it that based on Deinonychus teeth.
1: Oh, yes, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) And he drew illustrations of the dinosaur, but he never published about it. So the fossils that they found include a partial skull, a right lower jaw, 23 vertebrae, including parts of the tail, ribs, part of the left arm, partial pelvis, partial hind limbs, and left coracoid, part of the shoulder. John Ostrom named Microvenator in 1970, so the type species is Microvenator cellar.
0: So it sort of got a downgrade. It went from mega something to micro. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I guess John Ostrom was on my side. This is a this is a micro situation, not a mega.
1: <laughs> yes, although he did tentatively refer a tooth to Microvenator, but that tooth is probably from Dinodontis. Hmm. Anyway, the full name means "swift small hunter," and it was named for its long legs. In 1998. McAvicki and Suze published a monograph with Brown's illustrations and confirmed Microvenator was an over and that the tooth was not part of it. Some unique features of Microvenator include some of the vertebrae near and on the tail were wider than they were high, there's a crest on the femur, and there's a deep oval depression on part of the pubis. Microvenator also probably didn't have teeth. Some other dinosaurs that lived around the same time and place as Microvenator include Rugocadia, a basal titanosauriform, Sauroposeidon, a sauropod, Aquilops, a Ceratopsian, Zephyrosaurus, an Ornithischian, and it came up again, <laughs> and Acrocanthosaurus, a Carcharodontosaurid.
0: That's a cool one. I've, whenever I think of Oviraptorosaurs, I always think about Mongolia, mm-hmm. but they were here too in the States.
1: So for our fun fact, we thought we'd do something a little bit different this episode. There was somebody in our Discord who was asking about naming dinosaurs A to Z. We did do this once in a crossover episode, but unfortunately I couldn't easily find a link. So I thought, (laughs) why not do it again? Let's just name some dinosaurs A to Z.
0: It is possible.
1: And we'll probably come up with different ones than we did last time.
0: Yeah. Is whatever dinosaurs of those letters I've talked about most recently are the ones that come to mind.
1: Yes. So do you want to start or do you want me to start? You can start. Okay. I'm thinking A, Aquilops.
0: Oh, I was thinking a Bellosaurus. <laughs> so B, maybe Baryonyx. Oh. We were just talking about that. Also Brontosaurus. I wonder if we could do a carnivore and an herbivore for No, that's too much.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, some of those letters might be too tricky. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, C, Camarasaurus, since he just brought up a sauropod. Yeah,
0: there's also Ceratosuchops, we were talking about. Carcarodontosaurus, yeah. yeah. Anyway. D, what's a good D? There's Dreadnoughtus. Mm. Also Deinonychus.
1: Diplodocus. <laughs> You're skewing towards sauropods. Now.
0: <laughs> well, I keep naming carnivores, so you keep naming <laughs> sauropods. <laughs> For E, there's Eoraptor, as is a carnivore.
1: Oh, Alaphrasaurus.
0: Is that an herbivore?
1: It's a theropod. Ceratosaur.
0: Okay. I'm trying to get an herbivore and a carnivore. So there's also Edmontosaurus. Oh, yeah. It's a good one. For E. For F, there's Fuquiraptor.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: There's a bunch of Fuqui things. Is there another Fuqui thing that's a herbivore?
1: <laughs> oh, there are other dinosaurs that start with Fukui. It might but...
0: just be Venator. Yeah. What's an F herbivore? Futalangasaurus, is that an herbivore?
1: Yeah, a titanosaur.
0: Nice. Okay, we get G. You do Gastonia.
1: Oh yeah, Giganotosaurus. A Giganotosaurus. I was just about to say. All right, that's a carnivore, and then before it was an herbivore. H. H. Hesperornis.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Getting into the birdie ones. Yeah. So I think that would count as a carnivore, and
1: Hadrosaurus.
0: Oh yeah, obviously. <laughs> how do we miss that one? <laughs> or how time is that one?
1: Okay, I,
0: I oh boy, iguanodon.
1: Okay, and for a carnivore,
0: I feel like there's an ichthyovenator.
1: There is a spinosaur.
0: Yeah, I thought so. Okay.
1: Nice. <laughs> okay, J. Oh, the one you just talked about.
0: Oh yeah, Yakapiel. I, I, that would be an herbivore, mm-hmm. and. Carnivore, hmm. There's Juravenator.
1: Oh, yeah. Yep, a theropod.
0: I think that one's named after Jurassic, if I remember right.
1: Okay, K. Kunbarosaurus.
0: Okay, that's a herbivore. Cantrosaurus is also an herbivore. Kaiju Titan's also an herbivore. Oh, no. I can't think of a carnivorous K. Uh, Kakuru? Oh, yeah.
1: That's a theropod, most likely.
0: <laughs> Counts.
1: Okay, L. Lifungasaurus.
0: That's a herbivore, right? I think that's a sauropodomorph.
1: A massospondylid. Yeah.
0: I'm going to go with Laelanusora.
1: Isn't that an herbivore?
0: It might have been.
1: <laughs> the Hypsilophodon?
0: But that might have been an omnivore, so I can't think of anything else. So I'm just going to sneak it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's Latin Venetrix.
0: Oh, Okay, there we go. That's better
1: or latin I, venatrix, a troodont.
0: For M, there's...
1: Massospondylus.
0: That's a herbivore, right?
1: Mm-hmm. And Majungasaurus.
0: Oh, yeah. Good one. let see for N, Nigerosaurus. Is that herbivore? Nothronicus?
1: Is that a carnivore?
0: No, it's a therizinosaur.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I didn't think it was carnivorous. I knew
0: the nycus was claw, (laughs) but it's got the huge claws without eating.
1: I knew it was a therizinosaur. I just couldn't remember if that for sure meant herbivore, although I should have because therizinosaur and also that's been a dinosaur of the day.
0: What's another N, carnivore? Oh, probably nyasasora, if that counts as a dinosaur.
1: Nyasasaurus?
0: Yeah. Because it was so early, it was almost certainly a carnivore.
1: Oh, yeah. We'll take it.
0: O should be easy. You were just saying Oxalia, although you pronounced it probably better. Wahalia? Yeah. That's a carnivore for sure. And
1: Ornithomimus.
0: Yeah, I was thinking, I was like, Ornithopod? No. <laughs> <laughs> Ornithomimus. That's good. Okay, P. Patagotitan?
1: Oh, yeah. I was also thinking Paralotitan.
0: You do penguin for the predator, but if we go over nine <laughs> That's <you>. being tricky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Postosuchus isn't a dinosaur.
1: Parvicursor, It's an alvarosaur. Oh, yeah. Is that carnivore?
0: Yeah, I think so. We think they were probably eating termites or something. Oh, yeah,
1: insects. Okay, Q. Oh, boy. Twangosaurus. That's that Pinocchio rex one.
0: Okay, so that's a carnivore. And... Oh, man. Q is not an easy one.
1: Oh, Quantasaurus.
0: Yeah. I, get, I think that one might have been an omnivore, but we we'll, we can go with that one being an herbivore. It's an <laughs> Yeah.
1: We saw a statue of that in Australia. Mm-hmm. Okay. R. Ribachiosaurus.
0: Ribachiosaurus?
1: Ribachiosaurus, yes.
0: That's an herbivore, right? Yeah. And...
1: That one's a sauropod.
0: I was gonna say Riohasaurus, but I think that's also an herbivore.
1: Yeah, a sauropodomorph. Funny how we default to sauropods. <laughs>
0: there's just so many of them. <laughs> a lot of times, if there's a place, there's a, a sauropod named after it. What other R's are there?
1: Rahasaurus. Oh, and a Bellasaur.
0: Good. It's a good one. A Rajasaurus, perhaps.
1: Oh yeah, Rajasaurus. Was used to how we were pronouncing some other dinosaur names.
0: Yeah. For S, there's Struthiomimus, I think would count as an herbivore. And we were just talking about Scorpiovenator. Oh, yeah. Recently. That's a a carnivore.
1: T, well, Tyrannosaurus.
0: You got to do Tyrannosaurus and Triceratops goes right along with it. Easy. Now U. Utah Raptor.
1: Mmm. That's good. Utah Ceratops. Perfect. (laughs) V.
0: Weren't you just talking about Vibona Venetrix? Maybe I was just reading about that for something else, but that's another Spinosaurid.
1: Oh, I was going to say Velociraptor.
0: Okay, so we got two carnivores. You
1: need an herbivore. We do. I've got one, Vagaceratops. It's a
0: Ceratopsian. Oh, yeah. I was trying to think of a Ceratopsian. Kept getting stuck with you. (laughs) (laughs) W. Wendy Ceratops.
1: Oh, good one.
0: Now I'm on the Ceratopsian mind (laughs) track.
1: Oolong, as a dromaeosaur.
0: Nice. X. Ooh,
1: that's tricky. There's a xenoceratops. Okay. Ceratopsian.
0: And there's, I know there's a Chinese one.
1: There's a few, I think. Just have to remember (laughs) the names. (laughs) Yep. There's xiaosaurus. Okay. An ornithischian.
0: That one's a carnivore? Herbivore. Was the last one a carnivore? Yes. Okay, good.
1: Oh, wait. No, it wasn't. It was a ceratopsian.
0: Okay. So we got we got to find a carnivorous X.
1: Okay. Xiong guanlong. That's a tyrannosaur.
0: I knew there would be something starting with xio, because <laughs> it's a pretty common start for Chinese words. hmm
1: Okay. Y. E. 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 <laughs>
0: <laughs> Both jumped on that one. That one, I think cards counts as a carnivore. So you yeah. think it was probably flying around eating bugs and sharp teeth.
1: So, I think so too. So an herbivore. Ooh.
0: That should be easier. Oh Uteranus is another carnivore.
1: Yama Wow.
0: Another ceratopsian. Saving the day.
1: Yeah. I'm sure there's other wine ones. Okay, Z. Last one. Last two at least. Oh, Zephyrosaurus.
0: <laughs> yeah, I already forgot what type of dinosaur that is.
1: It's an ornithopod.
0: Okay, so we so think herbivore. Probably herbivore. Okay, that's good because I've got a Z one on the tip of my tongue, which is that Alaskan theropod that got renamed recently. Oh. Oh no, I'm thinking a Nynukosaurus. Okay, no, that doesn't. We have already covered the ends. Yeah, a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, also Zool, but that's an herbivore. Oh, yeah.
0: Should have thought of Zool. It's also z but that's another herbivore.
1: So many herbivores with Z names that we can think of anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, got it. Juchung Tyrannus.
1: Is that a tyrannosaur?
0: Mm-hmm. Got it. All right. A to Z herbivores and carnivores.
1: We only struggled a little bit.
0: <laughs> I think before editing that took us about ten minutes, but that's not that bad. <laughs> I, yeah, I didn't know. I was especially curious about why, because usually we go with E.
1: Yeah, and then what else is there? But there are there are so many dinosaurs named. Yeah, I think,
0: mostly saved the day.
1: <laughs> yeah, I And mean, we missed a bunch, but
0: we well we didn't miss any. We oh, got I, the whole alphabet. I was thinking a to C.
1: That there are a lot more why dinosaurs out there.
0: Oh, yeah. There's more of all of them. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) I'm proud of us. Me too. We finished the challenge.
1: (laughs) That was a fun challenge. Maybe we should quiz ourselves like once a year.
0: Yeah. Stay on our toes about all the different dinosaurs.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to get all the links to our sources, then check out our show notes on our website, inodino.com. Thanks again, and until next time.